The Truth News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. Do you know what I'm most concerned about for all of us Americans right now? I'm concerned about two things, divisiveness and fear. Think about this for just a second, divisiveness. I remember in the run-up to the presidential election in 2020, I remember the very few times that Joe Biden got out on the campaign trail. He was very out front. He said it over and over and again. I want to unify the nation. And one phrase he used pretty often stuck with me. I don't want to be the president of Democrats. I don't want to be the president of Republicans. I want to be the president of, by, and for all the American people, regardless of their Democrat or Republican Party or Independent or whatever you are. Boy, that sounds very promising, or at least it did then. Uh, He had too much history for me. So I didn't support him, not because of what he just said, but because in all his years in leadership in the Democrat Party and eight years as vice president, very little of what he actually did was actually unifying. In fact, exactly the opposite is true. My goodness, what we've watched in his administration, at least so far, very little of it, it speaks to any desire, any commitment to unify the nation. And we're living in a time when that's a pretty big deal, don't you think? I mean, do we need another big war like World War I or World War II to unify the nation? That seems to be what it takes to get it going in the right direction and get everybody to get around each other and the nation and do what's best for the whole nation. I'll never forget, I hear the stories coming from my dad who served in the Navy in World War II in the Pacific. My wife's aunt, she actually left a little town in northwest Louisiana and went to Fort Worth. She went there because there was a plane factory and they needed people to work on those assembly lines. She wanted to, she went, she qualified, she got the gig. And she did it because everybody was pulling together against the two common foes this nation had. The Germans, the Nazi Germans in Europe, and then what happened to Pearl Harbor? That lit the fire in the Pacific. Half our warriors were fighting in Germany, the other half were fighting in the Pacific against Japan. There was a common cause there. I hope, and I pray every day, that we don't have to get in that situation for this nation to get it all together again. We don't need another 9-11. We don't need uh, another war, a 10-year war, 15. We don't need any of that. We need the people to just finally decide, hey, if we're going to keep America, if we're going to keep the United States the number one nation on earth, best place to live on earth, We're going to have to stop all of this division and divisiveness. And then the other thing that comes to mind and really concerns me is fear. 
Just think about the stories that are coming out of Uvalde, Texas. There was a story out about one little girl that was shot, and then the shooter left the room for a second. She wasn't dead, but she lay there on the floor, and little girl laying next to her had been shot and killed, and she had blood all over her. So this girl got the friend's blood, the friend that was laying there dead, and put it all over her, laid back down when the shooter came back in the room. He didn't notice that she was alive, and she's living today because of that. Can you imagine the fear? We're talking about fourth graders. Fourth graders, nine, what is it, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine-year-old baby boys and girls. And this girl had the foresight to think on the spot of doing something like that. But what she did is amazing. But just think about what gripped her heart and her mind and all of these others in the school, the ones that weren't in that one fourth grade classroom when all this stuff happened. Think about the fear there. How much of the decisions our leaders are making in Washington are rooted in or at least impacted in a great fashion by fear? I don't know about you, but when I'm afraid... I'm really not too good at making clear, concise, and accurate choices about anything. And so when we live in that atmosphere where fear just kind of hangs over us all, it makes everything worse. Everything. The way you feel about yourself, the way you feel about your life at that moment, the way you feel about your family, your job, All of those things go out the window and fear replaces it and we begin to make decisions based on fear. Now, there are natural circumstances when fear is a good thing to make a choice with. I mean, if you're out in the woods and a full-sized bear starts chasing you, fear is going to kick in and you're probably going to run a little bit faster. Although, that's not a good thing to do. They tell you, don't run from a bear because they can run you down. I think you probably identify with what I'm talking about here. Fear is never a good thing. Never a good thing. What's the exact opposite of fear? Do you know? Think about it for just a second. 180 degrees away from fear. It's faith. Faith. Now, how does that work, Dan? Well, the Bible defines it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So as an example, the bear gets after you. What do you do? You run? You hide? No. You want to have a clear mind so you can make clear choices about what to do. Whisper a prayer. God, get me out of this. And you trust that the good is going to overtake the circumstance of the moment and you're going to be okay on the other side. You think about getting up that tree, getting away from the bear. You picture that. That's the substance of things hoped for. Most of us, we just, we just stay in the fear and just stay in the fear and just stay in the fear. We never get out of it. If you don't pray very much, let me encourage you this week, this weekend, this holiday season, the next few weeks, do you realize 
the lives that have been changed in Uvalde, Texas. We're going to get into some of the latest details. And I got to be honest with you, the details are not encouraging that this could have been stopped, but wasn't. And it's because of choices that people made, people in positions of authority. And then you've got the hatred, the anger going on, these parents that lost those 19 children. You've heard the story about the cop that went there, saved his wife and kids were saved. I'm sorry, his wife was killed. She was one of the two teachers. And he is so heartbroken. This is a Border Patrol agent. He was one of the ones that took the shooter down. And a few hours later, he had a heart attack and died. Those kids, four kids, are now orphans. Just in one day, bam! Everybody's circumstances and position on earth in that family changed 180 degrees. No fault of their own. They didn't do anything wrong. You just never know. But if we can live a life of faith, instead of looking at everything, every bad thing that happens like the glass is half full, you get a lot better perspective rather than looking at the glasses always being empty. Half empty, half full. What's the difference? There isn't any. It's only in the perspective. Only in the perspective. In the midst of all this, let me tell you a quick story how this in our family was illustrated very demonstrably for all of us years ago. Our youngest daughter and her husband, Scott, Corey and Scott, They got married, wanted to wait four or five years before they had a baby. They get pregnant four years later. They're so excited. We're all so excited. We're a very close family, and all but our son and his wife live in our area. All six of our grandkids are here, so we're blessed in that. But they are so excited. They're pregnant. But all of a sudden during the pregnancy, they they begin to notice some things that troubled them about motion of the baby and things like that. So... They got their pediatrician, uh, obstetrician, to refer them to a specialist. The specialist runs some tests and finds out the baby has what's called Turner syndrome. It's a chromosomal disorder. Very few babies live that are diagnosed and have Turner's syndrome. And sure enough, at 21 weeks, the baby quit moving. The baby died. The doctor told Corey she had to wait till 27 weeks for them to take that baby. Six weeks, she walked around 24 hours a day with her daughter in her womb, dead. She had the baby. You can imagine how our family felt. You can imagine how she and Scott felt, both great Christians, workers in the church, committed, good, good, good people, hardworking people. So, I've told this part of this story before. Worst moment of my life is driving up to the cemetery. Seeing that little white coffin holding my granddaughter, Emerson. We all pushed through it. Horrible time. The next week, we were going to a Arena Football League championship game. The Arena Bowl was being played in Phoenix. 
And so Marianne and I said, why don't we get Scott and Corey to go with us? Just get them away from this. And we stayed at the Biltmore, one of uh, Corey and my wife Marianne's favorite places on earth to stay. Stayed at the Biltmore. They have a great pool complex. There was a golf tournament, so Scott and I played in the golf tournament. The girls sat by the, the, the pool and relaxed. Little did we know, of course, we have to go to the Fashion Mall in Scottsdale every time we go there. So they decide we're going to head out to the Fashion Mall. We get there. Walking around the Fashion Mall, we run into my foster brother, Denny Duran, who is our pastor, Pastor Shreveport Community Church. And he had just finished preaching a sermon on the fundamental life of trusting God, period making a choice to trust God. And so one of the lines from the sermon, one of the sermons in the series, I'll never forget it. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Corey and Scott were going, still going to a satellite church of ours. So they hadn't heard that part of the sermon. Then he pulled Scott to the side at the fashion mall and told Scott, if you and Corey will resist the temptation to shake your fist in God's face in anger, he'll pay you back. He'll pay you back. It was amazing to us when we got back home. Scott was part of our company. Now he is the owner and the president and CEO of the company. He was a hard worker. He and Corey, they just said, we're going to get through this. We're going to trust God. We're going to be okay. And they refused to get mad and let fear overtake their hearts. Remember what Denny said, sometimes bad things happen to good people. And if you will refuse to shake your fist in God's face in anger, he'll pay you back. 13 months later, Grace and Emmeline were born. We got twins. It was a miracle. And it was a faith, a faith thing for both of those kids. They trusted God. They believed the best is yet to come. And they believe you can get through bad things happen to good people if you just believe God's going to get you through it. Wow. We're going into a, a weekend that is a tough one every year. The weekend in which we, we honor all those that went to war and died in war serving to keep America free. It's amazing that's always the um, the last Monday in May. And just a few weeks later, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence, the establishment of the United States of America. We're blessed, folks. As bad as it is, we're in much better situations than most of the people that breathe on Earth. We need to be thankful instead of fear. Why don't we make a commitment this weekend? It's a long weekend. By the way, Monday is normally not a work day. It's a day you're going to be on the lake. We're actually, we were invited to go on the lake with Scott and Corey and their daughters. Daughters are 16 now. <laughs> Can you believe that? Time flies. I'm 68. I'm getting old. <laughs> Time flies. Somebody says, I don't want to get old. Hey, you better be careful when you say that because there's only one other option, not getting old. <laughs> that means, like Rush Jim Limbaugh used to say, 
uh, if you don't get older, you are not getting older because you've assumed room temperature. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. And you know what? Not if it does happen to me, but when it happens to me, we all go out of here the same way. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We needed to start the day-to-day together in a positive way. And uh, I think we just did. Everything's going to be okay, folks. Whatever you're facing today, you're going to get through it. I know people that are very, very ill with different kind of situations. And it's always tough, especially the older you get when something comes up with your health. It's always tough to not let fear take over your thought process. What if? What if? What am I going to do? Am I going to die? Is there something I can get through? Is it going to be okay to, uh, j- to just live through this? Trust God. Trust God. He'll get us all through it. What do we have on the plate for us today? Well, there's some late-breaking information coming out of Uvalde, Texas. And here's what is happening. We knew and we predicted and told you it was going to happen. Every day there's going to be something that turns over something that we originally were told were facts coming out of this situation. Anytime you have a tough thing happen like this, there are so many moving parts in it, people, decisions, choices, circumstances, things that come up like the little girl that played dead and doing so. She rubbed her friend who got shot and killed laying next to her, rubbed that little girl's blood on herself so the shooter would think she was already dead. It saved her life. Things like that keep coming out of it. And we have some more of those. Multiple law enforcement sources said yesterday part of the delay in stopping the barricaded school shooter, it hinged on a deadly mix of the shooter's defensive tactics and the lack of needed gear. Specifically, we found out yesterday officers didn't have one of those ballistic shields, you know, those bulletproof things. It's like a shield. The bottom of it is metal. The top of it is bulletproof glass. And when they're going to go into a room or a a place where there is an active shooter, they get behind that shield. The police force there didn't have one or two of those things. And so they waited. They had to wait. Attempting to breach the door without that shield would certainly have resulted in certain death for an officer of two in addition, could have provided the shooter with the officer's weapons and some more ammo. Another possibility, shooter could have taken police communications gear off of their officer's body if he killed them, giving the shooter the ability to listen to police movement and their plans. A Border Patrol source that had knowledge of the methods that were used formed a team of law enforcement officers to engage the suspect, described the difficulty faced by these these officers. This source has decades of prior experience on Border Patrol, the elite BORTAC team. Says the situation got much more difficult to resolve once the shooter barricaded himself in that fourth grade classroom. This source, not authorized to speak to the media, said that a barricaded subject is the most difficult tactical situation to resolve. And in this case, the shooter most likely planned the attack days or weeks in advance, perhaps prior to the purchase of those two AR-15-style rifles and 370 ammunition pieces 
According to the source, officers at the scene who had been trained in advanced tactical procedures, they located a level four ballistic shield. This allowed them to approach the shooter without immediately being killed. A U.S. Marshals Service employee acquired the necessary shield that ultimately allowed the quickly formed tactical team to enter the building, reach the barricaded shooter, and then they took the shooter down. Little things like that, preparation. You know, yesterday we we published a story about a model of locking down and protecting schools, kids from getting shot and killed, educators from getting shot and killed, and it's been working for 1974 and since in Israel. Every school in Israel stays totally locked down. Totally locked down. One way in, one way out. Schools are fenced, ballistics, monitoring equipment on all of the fences. Nobody goes in that school unless you have an appointment, and nobody just goes in on their own. They're escorted if they go there. Every school in Israel, only two minor school situations since 1974. Fox News picked up on the story we published, and they they published an alternative, but it, it is on and says the exact same things that we published in our story yesterday. We've got to find a way to make sure this never happens again. That's what we've got to do. Some more news that came out. The Texas Department of Public Safety yesterday said the gunman and two teachers that were killed were when he walked into the school through an unlocked door. And in spite of what we were told, there was one officer that engaged with him prior to him getting in that room. The truth is there was no encounter with any school police by this guy when he walked into the school. DPS Regional Director Victor Escalon told reporters at noon yesterday, after the gunman crashed his pickup near the school, that's when he started his attack. He climbed a four-foot-high chain-link fence around the school, fired at the school as he approached it. He also fired at two eyewitnesses at a funeral home nearby. By 20 minutes later, he had approached the west side of the school. He was not confronted by anybody outside the school, armed or otherwise. Escalon added there was no school resource officer on campus that day and that the first report came to police at exactly 11.30 in the morning. Though it's still uncertain, it appeared that a shooter had entered the building through an unlocked door. That was the report. He said that further investigation could reveal that the door was unlocked, and we found out last night it was unlocked. He added that local cops responded 16 minutes after the crash of the guy's truck at 11.44, entered the building, but retreated after an exchange of gunfire in which some of the officers were wounded. Law enforcement then waited outside the building for an hour, and that was to get that ballistic shield. The shooter was killed in an exchange of gunfire with a Border Patrol tactical officer who later rushed into the building. We're getting this. More and more and more news coming out. One Texas television station had this report just before we went live on the air this morning. 
It is the end of an extremely tough week for everybody, especially that community hit so hard by violence. Yeah, and this morning we're learning more about exactly what happened that day. Our Tiffany Liu joins us live from Uvalde. And Tiffany, we're seeing a lot of anger start to mount over the response specifically by law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a better timeline of what happened on Tuesday. They gave us that update yesterday. And we know that, you know, knowing all these details, it almost makes it harder to process what happened. Now, officials say that the shooter actually started his rampage at his grandmother's house that morning. He shot her and stole her truck before crashing it just before 1130. Then at that point, he fired at witnesses who saw him carrying a rifle and a bag of ammo. Authorities say he soon walked into Robb Elementary unobstructed and started firing. It only took police four minutes to arrive. They called for backup and officials say they were taking gunfire. It wasn't until an hour into the incident that Border Patrol tactical team showed up and finally killed the shooter. You know, we're going to get updates like this for days to come. It's kind of like an election return and the counting. We never get a final word within a short period of time. They've got to keep counting, counting. We've got to recount. We've got to find this, got to find there are so many moving parts and so many people involved in things like this school shooting that more and more information is going to come out every day. Some of it's good. One, for instance, an off-duty U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agent saved dozens of kids that were trapped inside the school Tuesday after his wife, a fourth-grade teacher at the school, sent him a text that there was an active shooter. Help, she wrote, I love you. He was getting a haircut. Jacob Alvarado is his name. He was sitting in the chair getting a haircut when he got that text. He borrowed a shotgun from the barber who jumped in the car with him. They both headed to where his wife and his second grade daughter were hiding at the school. His little girl, eight years old, was locked in a bathroom and his wife was underneath a desk with her students in the classroom. Second grade. While a Border Patrol elite tactical team was planning to take out the shooter, Alvarado coordinated with other officers to get as many kids out as he could. He started in the area where his wife had said their daughter was hiding, rescuing other children and teachers along the way. We're going to get more and more and more stories like that. Here's one that'll blow your mind. We're talking about a little sleepy town in South Southwest Texas. It's kind of right in the middle. San Antonio, you know where 35 goes north and south, runs through San Antonio all the way down to the border. It's kind of on the left side of that, about 60 miles. The public school district is there and that sleepy town is not a stranger to campus lockdowns. Listen to this. In October of 2021, Mayor Don McLaughlin reported the district had been forced into lockdowns 48 times during the first few months of that school year. Why? Human uh, smuggler pursuits near the, the schools. At the time, the mayor joined with a commission of local government reps of Kinney and Uvalde counties, and they demanded action from the Texas Department of Emergency Management regarding the big and growing border crisis. The county and the city detailed the impact of the border crisis on local resources. One of the district's seven schools 
became the scene of one of the worst mass casualty shootings in America on Tuesday. You, you understand this Robb Elementary School shooting is one of the worst in history. Plantation, Florida, really, really bad. This one looks like it's going to be worse by the time it's all done. The shooter killed 19 students, two teachers. One thing after another. And then there's always behind-the-scenes stories like law enforcement, cops, the defund the police movement, all of that stuff plays into anything like this that happens, layer upon layer upon layer. It's never just flat clean starting an incident like this or any other serious incident with a clean slate. You've got piles and piles of baggage on top of it that impact the outcome and every part of it that it happens as it happens. Homeland Security Advisory Co-Council Chair, former Police Commissioner of Boston, Los Angeles, and New York. You've probably seen him on TV shows before. His name's Bill Bratton. He said that the total overall crime problem in the nation has been created by politicians. I know that doesn't surprise you. (laughs) And the consequences of defunding police has been seen in serious crime rates in some cities and incidents like what happened there in Uvalde on Tuesday. He also said during the height of the defund insanity in this city, there was a push to take police out of the schools. I speak out frequently, he said, about the need for more, the stupidity of the defund the police movement that they quickly retreated from. We have about 100,000 fewer cops today than we had several years ago. Many departments did suffer defunding, like Los Angeles and, and New York, and we see the consequences of their defunding before they reversed it. The serious crime rates those cities are still experiencing today. And it's because of an attitude. When a big sector of the populace, they just go all the way in. Cops are bad. We want them gone. Let's take away their money. I talked a moment ago about the layers and everything. Think about what that does to the consciousness of law enforcement agents that are out there every day already putting their lives on the line. How many of those cops in Uvalde, how do you think, how many do you think, when they got up Tuesday, they said, you know what? I got to go get prepared for a school shooting where this nut job is going to kill 21 people. None of them. Life changes instantly. Bratton said, one of the things that we need more funding for certainly is training of police officers. We don't do enough initial training. We certainly do not do enough in-service training throughout their careers. The crime crisis in America today has been created by the politicians in many of our cities and states, especially in New York City, where he lives now, with their misguided criminal justice and bail reform efforts. So let's take a look at the source of the crime spike that we're experiencing. Novel idea. We talked about that yesterday. Management, planning, implementing a plan instead of just shooting from the hip every time something bad happens. It's it's political, largely political, he said, with the laws that they pass and the attacks on the police. I don't think most school teachers want to be armed. That's not what they signed up to do. I'm sure you probably feel the same way I do. They all signed up to teach. 
So the decision about what level of security we need in our schools, it's left up to each town, each city. And New York is an example. During the height of the defund insanity, there was an effort being made to basically take police out of all the schools in New York City. The irony, the majority of those school police are minorities themselves, many who have children in that school system. That's one irony. The numbers of ironies in this entire thing, this whole environment that has been created in the nation during the Trump administration and since, it's driving all of this criminality, all of this hatred, anger, and all of this fear. All of a sudden, let me just let me just dumb it down for you in one particular example. I'll use myself. I spent some time in Europe, some time in Malaysia on business. And it was interesting to me. The first time I, I, I went to Europe, I went to uh, went through London, went through Zurich, Switzerland, went up into Germany, Austria, Liechtenstein, Italy, flew from there to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and then back to Europe. I was in a lot of different places, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people, relevant things on which they base their lives. And many of them I interacted with because I was there for business meetings, had them every day. And they always looked at me and talked to me all the same way. You're an American. You're an American. And it was never right down the middle. It was always some of the people hated me because I was an American and some felt better about me just because I'm an American. Perception is reality. So everybody on the planet that knows anything about geography and political systems, they know about the United States and what we stand for. They now know, have a lawyer today that does stuff work for me in Zurich, Switzerland, female. Very, very good lawyer. One of only five financially certified attorneys in the nation of Switzerland. She's very connected. And it was interesting because of her perspective. She speaks five languages. She went to University of Santa Barbara. In fact, her daughter is going there now. So they understand culture different around the world. And they, everyone talked about how the United States, they all look at us with one common thing. We're all cowboys. You know, we just shoot from the hip. We just go and do things. They're much more conservative, more reserved than we are, especially in Europe. They look at us that way. And I was there right before the election in 2016. And I remember sitting at dinner and one of those people asking me about Donald Trump. And the perspective from the start was, oh my gosh, he's a cowboy. He's not a politician. How could he think he could run a nation? And I'm mentioning this to tell you, we don't know everything about everybody with whom we interact, period. I don't care if if it's at the grocery store, if it's at a restaurant, if it's at a service station, if you're putting air in your tires, at a, at a Circle K, whatever. You run in, you interact with people. 
And every person with who you interact is different from you and everybody else that's there. One of the things that happened at the beginning of this was a whole flock of people, all from different parts of Europe. But they all came here for one purpose only, and that was to find a place where they could be their selves, whatever their selves was, and not have to worry about the government choking down on them in every way and forcing conformity to whatever that government that runs that company, uh, that country, whatever they want the citizenry to do and not do, conform. They love the fact, and they still look at us with envy. Those people I told you I interacted with, it was more obvious in Malaysia than it was in Europe. But everyone looked at me as I was blessed because I'm an American. And now, we have millions of people walking the streets every day that hate America, that are American citizens, and that have been living off of everything this nation provides. Those are the people that crafted this defund the police thing. Our president, he supported it at the very beginning. You realize that. He changed his tune. It's never about you. It's never about you. And if and when you make it about you, you can bet the outcome is not going to be good. Why? Because you're a human. You're flawed just as I am. We're humans. We make mistakes. And everyone else around us is no different than that. We all make mistakes. We got to find ways to get through those mistakes. I mean, in the, in the New Testament, it talks about when you've got a friend or neighbor or somebody you interact with and they're really messed up in one area. And the Bible said, instead of damning them, sending them to hell, <laughs> Novel idea. Why don't you pull the branch out of your eye before you pull the little piece fleck of wood that's in their eye? In other words, take care of your stuff and trust everybody else to take care of their stuff and trust each other. We don't have that today, do we? I'm going to give you an example of that where some big-time, big-name people that have big, big, big microphones they proved just exactly what I was just talking about. The divisiveness, the hatred, the anger, and the fear. You don't want to miss this. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However... I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. 
Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, ah, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. So the good we're going to return to right now is the likes of MSNBC and ABC. So in the aftermath of this horror in Yavaldi, MSNBC and ABC's The View used that tragedy. Instead of the unity thing, they decided to tear into Republicans and propose drastic gun reform measures, some of which included outright removing guns from civilian hands. So talking with MSNBC's Chris Hayes, documentary director Michael Moore, asked if anyone on the network or any other network for that matter would say it's time to repeal the Second Amendment. Michael Moore, who I detest, oh my gosh, he's the scum and he takes advantage of every incident that happens like the one that happened in Uvalde. Find a way to get in front of a television camera or microphone and make money. So he's back. We have a travesty going on. Yesterday, he added that America does not need sensible gun laws, but rather the hardcore stuff in order to protect families and children. He floated the idea of a moratorium on gun sales, all gun sales. The next day on the network, former DNC chair and MSNBC contributor Howard Dean call for a bill to be pushed to the floor of the House that's designed to limit or eliminate, just do away with the sale of so-called assault weapons for Americans that are not part of the military or law enforcement. I'm going to talk to you in a second about assault weapons. Over on ABC, The View, co-host Whoopi Goldberg, she just jumped right in there. She agreed with Dean's position seeming quite confident that Americans would soon have to give up their AR-15s. Okay, you can have your gun, she said, but you can't have your AR-15. If you're going to get all in my business, can and cannot do, neither can you. They're going to come for those AR-15s, and you better be ready to give them up because this is America. In the same segment, 
Whoopi got agitated, threatening physical violence if Republicans continued to express empathy for the victims of the Texas shooting. She said, I swear to God, if I see another Republican senator talk about their heart being broken, I'm going to go punch somebody, she said. And thoughts and prayers, Joe Behar chimed in. (laughs) A number of other hosts and guests also expressed frustration with members of the GOP. You're the weakest, most feckless, pathetic liars to say we can't do something about these shootings. We can do something about it. That's Joe Scarborough. Morning, Joe. His co-host also called Republican lawmakers barbarians for not wanting to talk about the politics of the situation so soon after the tragedy had occurred. The readout host, Joy Reid, also tore in Republicans for their stance on guns and their hesitance to get political on the subject. Please spare me the don't politicize these deaths BS, she said. And she added that Republicans and their two pet Democrats, a likely reference to Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, will never reach a point where the rivers of blood will ever run deep enough to spark a change in policy position. Their tolerance for blood and the National Rifle Association's tolerance for slaughter are bottomless, she proclaimed. Now, just keep in mind, who these people are that are mouthing all of that. Every one of them are very wealthy people. They have very highly visible positions in their jobs that they do. But what else? What else do they all have? They all have armed security. I don't think a single person that I mentioned their name, I don't think a single one of them drives a car to work. As an example, Fox News, their morning team, their nighttime team. Do you know what Fox News has always done? If those people, doesn't matter if you live in Manhattan, New Jersey, or out on Long Island, you've got a car that comes to get you every day at a specific time that chauffeurs you into Manhattan onto Avenue of Americas, which is where their headquarters are, and takes you in. They don't drive you up to the front door. They go down under the building, up into a garage, a secure garage, where you get out and do your show. Most of these people, when they go out around town, they're specifically going somewhere for something, and most of the time they have chauffeur-driven vehicles that take them to these things. How in that environment can they even come close to relating to the rest of us that we, if you've been to Manhattan... If you've written, uh, if you've rented a car when you fly into either JFK or the other one, try to find a parking place in Manhattan. I mean, they're there, but it's impossible to find in a decent period of time close enough to where you got to go. That's why everybody takes a car. I used to do a taxi. I did the taxi thing, and I would all. I love staying in downtown Manhattan. I hadn't been in a while, and I'm not sure I'm going to go back for a while because of everything that's happening there. But I love the city. I love it around, uh, I guess, 42nd, 43rd, 44th. I just really love it. First couple of times I went years ago, rented a car, never do that again. I actually have a car service that I can call and set it up, and when I land 
They're there to pick me up. One of those, I got the signs at the bottom of the elevator. One of those kind of things. It's a plain car. It's not a fancy limo and a driver. And they'll take you where you want to go. You can, you can set it up to have them at your whim all day long, specific times or all day long. Like if you go somewhere for a meeting, they take me and drop me off where I need to go. And they go somewhere. And then when I finish with what I'm doing, I just give them a call and they're back in just moments to pick me up. These people live in that life 24-7. And they're out there pontificating about everyday people that don't make the kind of money that they do and don't have access to the kind of frills that they do. These people take what they have for granted. And because they're safe, they just assume we all ought to be happy with our circumstances and not worry about it. Tell that to the moms of those people, those 19 babies that got killed this past weekend. Our forefathers gave an explanation for the construction of the Second Amendment. It wasn't to put arms in the hands of people to fight against other people or foreign invaders. At the bottom of that whole thing was we would never have to worry about our government keeping us from having protection so we can protect ourselves, our families, and everything we have from our government. Our government will never come after us, and if they ever did, they would face armed resistance. That's what it's all about. And by the way, these people are screaming like Whoopi Goldberg, let's let's do away with the Second Amendment, let's do away with it. There's a process to do that. We can do that. What they don't say, they don't want to talk about the process to do it the right way, the legal way, the only way that would be acceptable, and that is to go through the constitutional process that's set up to do an amendment. And there are 26 amendments, so it's been done 26 times. But here's why they resist going and doing it the right way. The people will win, and the people in the nation as a whole are not going to let the government control anybody's ability to own legally a gun and protect themselves and their families. It's not going to happen. But see, they can scream and holler about it knowing it's not going to happen, but what it does, it amps up the fear and the anger and the hatred and the divisiveness. They all live off of that. Every one of them I just quoted live off that. Joy Reid. Joe Scarborough, Morning Joe, his co-host, Mika, Whoopi Goldberg. They all live off of that. They're after one thing and one thing only, ratings, which gives them the ability to make more money. Money makes the world go round, right? During the break, I scanned to see if there's any other big news that popped up this morning. There's news, but not anything that is really dramatic at this particular time, but there's still a bunch of stuff out there that we need to know about. We have an economy that's in deep trouble right now. Our nation is really in trouble. Our leadership is in trouble. Our businesses are in trouble. And one piece of it that really shocks me 
is we actually are facing a monstrous food shortage here in the United States. Think about that. I don't remember in my lifetime where we've ever had a food shortage. Yeah, some specific items because of something weird and different that happens on a one-off basis. Yeah, I'll get that. But no, I'm talking about not being able to get the basics that we take for granted and have for our entire lifetimes regarding food. Here's the details. Wheat and corn. Joining me right now is Florida Congressman, House Budget Committee and Small Business Committee member Byron Donalds. Congressman Donalds, it's great to see you this morning. Thanks very much for being here. We've been covering the World Economic Forum all morning and all week. Uh, And one of the topics is the potential food crisis looming, dominating the conversations there. There's also talk of a possible sugar shortage. I mean, look, you thought it couldn't get any worse. First, we've got 40-year highs in inflation of everything we buy every day. Then we've got an inability to feed our babies with the baby formula shortage. Now we're talking about the potential for a famine yeah, uh, this, this is not good news, Maria, at all, across not just in America, but across the globe. One of the things that we've always been concerned with, with respect to uh, the Russian invasion into Ukraine, is what's going to happen with fertilizer stock for farming across the globe. Uh, we kind of knew this was going to be an impact. Some of the early data was suggesting it was going to be an impact. And, and of course, here we go. What makes this worse is that here in the United States, if we had a robust energy apparatus, it's not just drilling for oil, that's important here at home, but it's also having the necessary refining capacity, which we don't have in the United States, so that it's not just about getting gasoline to gas pumps, but it's also all of the derivative products that come from oil, uh, that come from petroleum products, one of them being fertilizer. And so because you're going to have a fertilizer shortage, in, in a lot of respects, it is going to lead to some food shortages. So it's going to need a lot of people, you know, basically changing policy um, and changing their ideas of how they feel about oil and natural gas uh, to try to get us through this current crisis. Well, I mean, you make exactly the right point and you've got an op ed out on the Hill, which is titled Soaring Diesel Prices Spells Bad News for America. You write this, quote, our economy depends on this fuel type and without diesel, America's economy collapses Congressman, what I've been saying over and over again is bad policy results in bad outcomes. Diesel prices are at $5.53 a gallon today, and the price of regular gasoline is at another all-time high. Yeah, listen, you're absolutely correct. It is disastrous policy. One of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that it's hard to get some of these petroleum products to to the other to the refineries in order to, to create the necessary uh, uh, conditions to have diesel prices be stable or even fall. So we can't even refine it in the United States the way we could maybe a decade ago, 15 years ago. That's number one. That's really because of bad bad economic and energy policy from Democrats, specifically in blue states, because their state departments of environmental uh, protection have stopped uh, refineries from being able to be maintained altogether. And so what happens is these refineries aren't there. The other thing we have is, like I said, there's so much more demand for petroleum, petroleum derivatives. What are you talking about? Contact lenses, wireless earbuds, cell phones, TVs, clothes, um, anything, any product you want to talk about, there's a derivative of oil in that. So the demand for petroleum yeah. products is, is massively increased. 
our refining capacity in the United States is actually down from where it used to be. This is faulty leadership that's been happening for quite a long time. It started in the Obama administration, and we have to get serious about refining capacity in the United States. Isn't it interesting that when bad things happen on a national basis, other than the emergency things like a shooting or something like that, we as citizens, we don't know of anything about it in advance. Leadership, especially the leadership in Washington now in both parties, they want to keep everything close to the to the chest. They don't want anybody out there to know until and unless it becomes an emergency. Why is that? No planning. No leadership. Wait for something bad to happen and just react. Don't plan ahead. Don't don't do it and set up a way to try to prevent it from happening. We're talking about food and we're talking about petroleum byproducts that things we take for granted. Did you know contact lenses have petroleum-based materials in them? I never knew that. And probably pretty much everything you look at has either in the manufacturing process or an element in that particular thing is based on fossil fuel. Oh my gosh, that evil stuff, the joke swore to the world he was going to get rid of, totally get rid of it. He was going to make everybody turn to electric, do away with it. Electric, solar, and wind, that's the way we're going. They won't talk about going to the most efficient one, which is nuclear energy. Go to Europe. I talked to you about Europe a little bit ago. Go to Europe, the huge section of Europe that has turned to nuclear energy, their costs are way low. The efficiency is way, way up there. And they've not had any nuclear incidents. That's what people in government use to scare people to death. Oh, we can't do that. You get radioactive fallout and it contaminates everything. They don't want us to know unless and until it becomes a huge crisis. Why is that? They can keep everything political. And as long as you're in politics and you got good news, whether it's true or not is immaterial. If people believe what you tell them, that's all that matters. And most of them are experts at doing that. Something just popped up just a few minutes ago. I got this at, let's see, 9.58. Yeah, it's 9.58. I got it at 9.34. Texas Republican Tony Gallas. Gonzalez has said Salvador Ramos, the shooter, was arrested four years ago as after a minor. Why was he arrested? He told police he was going to shoot up a school once he turned 18. This wasn't hearsay. Gonzalez said, I got this last night. The shooter was arrested years ago, four years ago, for having this plan for basically saying, You know, when I'm a senior in 2022, I'm going to shoot up a school. Obviously, something fell through the cracks. We need to shake out all the facts. We need to figure out what happened, where the holes are, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. But if law enforcement identified him four years ago as a possible threat, we got to figure out why He wasn't removed from that school environment. And Gonzalez later added, I'm under the impression that him and one other person were having a conversation 
plotting this all. And they knew they were going to do it. Governor Abbott, he hadn't yet commented on the juvenile arrest claims, but he's going to give a press briefing today. In fact, it's set to happen right when we go off the show live. The teenager legally purchased those two guns he used within just days of turning 18 last week. He had a difficult relationship with his mother, Adriana, obviously with his grandmother because he shot her and he was living with his grandparents. Tuesday morning, he launched that attack, first shot his grandma, Celia, in the face. She survived. She's recovering, but she can't speak yet. Ramos fled in a stolen truck with his two guns and hundreds of rounds of ammo, and that's what started this. Somebody that knows a little bit about this and has been through it personally is that father, Parkland. Parkland shooting victim's father. You've seen him quite a bit on the news around the nation. Andrew Pollock is his name. His daughter, Meadow, was killed when that Plantation, Florida gunman opened fire at her school in 2018, Valentine's Day. He talked about a school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas in 2018 that left 10 dead, and he reiterated that more could be done. Listen to what his suggestion. This is a guy that has waded into the middle of this, and he's made it his life's job is to get rid of these mass school shootings. And you're going to be interested what his plans and his recommendations are. They've not changed. I'm going to quote him. They didn't learn anything from what happened in Texas at that Santa Fe, Texas school shooting. They didn't learn anything from what happened in Parkland at that shooting. They didn't learn anything from what happened at Sandy Hook. When you focus on just gun control, this is what happens. And it's happened again. Pollock went on to say that every school should have armed guards with one point of entry as well as mechanisms in place to address the mental illness issues that many school shooters exhibit. I guarantee you this kid didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to kill my grandma. There had to be red flags that went off and it's a big problem. Pollock added the local school districts and governments need to determine kids who are mentally sick and evil and put it on their background so they can't purchase a rifle. A couple of other media outlets reported the shooter who killed 19 displayed many signs of mental instability, including slashing his own face with a knife, getting into fistfights at school, fighting with his mother to the point where the cops were called, and posting pictures of guns online. Democrats across the country, including Texas gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke. He showed his butt yesterday in that briefing, didn't he? They've all blamed the Uvalde shooting on guns and the lack of gun policies. After all, guns are the evil ones. They, they fire themselves. Yeah, you got a gun out there. It's evil. It's going to take somebody out on its own. You don't have to do anything. You watch it on the ground. Boom, it's going to kill somebody. There are gun laws in place, Pollock said. There's so many gun laws in place. If they don't have a background, not one gun law is going to make a difference. You can't focus on guns. Nothing gets done. You can't focus on guns. Nothing 
gets done. And of course, the left are the first to go, yeah, but if we take all the guns away, nobody can kill anybody. I would love to sit and watch. I mean, get a bag of popcorn and a Coke and sit somewhere and watch them start confiscating all the guns in America. Can you imagine what that would look like? You and I both know everybody that owns guns legally, their guns would be taken. Do you think the criminals in this nation that have guns are just going to politely walk out and lay them on a table in front of police officers and, and say, thank you, sir. Here's my gun. We'll be safe now. The only people that this would impact directly are the legal gun owners, the good people, the criminals. Oh my gosh. Obviously in large part, they're not good people or they wouldn't be criminals. Liars going to lie. Haters going to hate. Criminals going to be criminals. Deal with the causes rather than just the results. You don't want any more shootings? Well, change the circumstances that allow shootings to happen. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You change something, you're going to get a result. That's what it's all about. Wow. So what else is happening today? It's Friday. You got big weekends planned up? Oh, we got Mudbug Madness in Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana. Mudbugs, crawfish. People talk about it. Everywhere I go, people talk about it. They ask you. They find out you're from Louisiana. Oh, do you eat crawfish? Oh, my gosh, do I eat crawfish? (laughs) I remember when I was like five years old, living in Lafayette, Louisiana. Of course, those of you up north, you pronounce it Lafayette. But anyway, Lafayette, Louisiana. We had some friends that lived on the outskirts of town, and they had this huge vat I mean, just a big old thing. You couldn't even pick it up. Two or three guys couldn't even pick it up. And it held very easily a 100-pound sack of live crawfish. And we would go out there when, when crawfish season happened, which real crawfish season basically is from March till maybe the middle, uh, maybe till the end of June. It's a one-time-of-year thing. But now we have these farms all over the place, and they raise crawfish year-round. You can get crawfish. And they're good year-round. But when the spring comes, for whatever reason or reasons, they eat more, obviously, and they grow more. The bad thing is, if you wait too long, they get darker in color, and that's because their skin or shells gets thicker. They get bigger, but it's harder to get to the meat. So you got that lesson for nothing. Anyway, crawfish was in our life and always is a big deal. We have Mudbug Madness up here. It is a crawfish festival. There'll be all kinds of things going, a typical festival. Now, let me ask you this. In the context of everything going on around us, and I bring up having a festival in downtown Shreveport with booths and great food and celebrating and eating crawfish, crawfish tails. Oh, my gosh. I love crawfish. My son can devour and does whenever he gets around good crawfish. We never think in Shreveport, Louisiana, about there even being the possibility of some kind of gun incident happening 
at a place like Mudbug Festival. I'm curious to know if our city, if our mayor and his people that work for him in this administration have even thought about something like this happening at Mudbug Festival. It could. And the way this administration at the White House works, they may make a phone call and say, hey, if something happens, let us know. The previous administration, when this thing was scheduled and there was chaos going on regarding guns and stuff like that in the nation like it is now, somebody here would get a call and they would talk about planning for a possible incident like this happening. And they might put a plan together and it may be implemented and it may not take care of this stuff. But listen, if nothing is planned for and if nothing is implemented, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. And there's no recourse from somebody or something else. That's not leadership. Leadership is planning. Leadership is planning and implementing plans. I, you don't see that in Joe Biden. You don't. Talk's a great game, and that's about all there is. The other, or one of the other big debacles on the table is the baby formula shortage. And boy, there's been finger-pointing, as there always has been since Joe Biden has been president. Finger-pointing, Nobody in the Biden administration ever takes accountability and responsibility for anything bad that happens. And when anything good happens, even if it's just a little uptick in the economy, the gross domestic product, even though he may, Joe Biden may have had nothing to do with it, he, of course, will always claim that it was his policies. And like the COVID-19 stuff, from the very beginning, Everybody. Oh, it's the orange man's fault. Donald Trump let this happen. We didn't plan for it, yada, yada, yada. Well, of course, Barack Obama and Joe Biden didn't either. But that doesn't matter. They can't politicize that. And so now this baby formula problem, the president of one of the big companies that manufacture baby formula, last July alerted the White House that we could very possibly this spring have a bad baby formula shortage. We didn't plan for that. We didn't talk to anybody about that. It was like water off a back. No big deal, right? FDA Commissioner Robert Califf said our severe nationwide shortage of this formula is expected to be eased within two weeks. That's what he said. Then testifying before a Senate hearing, he said that while he cannot give exact dates, his expectation is that, quote, within two months, we should be beyond normal and with a plethora of formula supply. It's going to be gradual improvement, he said, up to probably somewhere around two months until the shelves are replete again. And again, he's speaking to politicians at the health, Senate health Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Due to all the measures being taken, the shortage is going to be better and better. Supply chain pressures and a shortage of workers in the middle of COVID-19, our own pandemic, pointed to as being the responsible parties for an ongoing baby formula shortage. 
but the supply became even more scarce after Abbott Nutrition in February recalled multiple baby formula products, including some Similac products, after four infants fell sick. Abbott has the largest market share for infant formula in the nation. They temporarily shuttered their formula manufacturing plants in Sturgis, Michigan, where the recall products were produced over safety concerns after an FDA investigation found unsanitary conditions there at the plant. An investigation into suspected bacterial contamination at the facility failed to confirm a link to the recalled products, with the FDA saying the bacterial strains the infants fell sick to did not match the strains at that point. The governor said the plant is due to resume production June 4th. Previously noted it would take six to eight weeks before the products will arrive in stores. The company said it would prioritize shipping its specialty formula, Elicare, on or about June 20th. The formula would be provided to children in need for free. Collapse. <laughs> no leadership. No leadership. Speaking of Uncle Joe, he had a rough week. He really had a rough week. Every time he gets in front of a camera and a microphone, he just stepped all over himself. And he's using a teleprompter every time he gets up in front of anybody, a bunch of private citizens, business leaders, or members of Congress. They get it. They understand how politicization of things works. It happens. Politicians use it all the time as a weapon. Joe Biden mastered that after his 30-something years in the U.S. Senate and eight years as vice president. But one thing he hasn't resolved, he just can't handle the teleprompter thing. Here's some examples. President Nisto, you are, uh, and Prime, Prime Minister Anderson, Anderson you're, uh, it's a great honor to have both of you here at the White House. I welcome Sweden and, fi- and F- Finland. Let, make, let me make, let, 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 let no one make a mistake. The, the meaning of this historic day. That's how it works when leaders derive their power from the consent of the government. From, from the consent of the governed. Bruh. Let, make, let me make, let, 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 let no one make a mistake. <laughs> let no one make a mistake. I'm not laughing at him. I am laughing because what you just heard, which was a potpourri of his verbal faux pas put together in a chain. We all make mistakes. Anybody that says they don't, they're inhuman or very evil or just plain stupid. But what we should be looking at in everything that happens is what's the truth. And if it's time to recall an incident or a group of things or people's names and you know, don't start manufacturing information to give to somebody. If you're going to talk to somebody, tell them the truth. And if you don't know the truth, qualify what you're saying. If you want to tell them about it and talk about it and tell them, I don't know if this is fact. Don't talk every time you speak and you're telling people about something. 
You need to stop and think before you adopt the basic untold thing. Just shut up and listen to me. What I tell you is factual. That pretty much is the underlining purpose for what we often say or tell other people about. And it shouldn't be. Two things. It shouldn't be about us, whatever that turns out to be. And it shouldn't be couching the truth to make you look better or bigger or more important than you are. Hmm. You probably hadn't anybody tell you that recently. Well, guess what we're happening now? Some massive COVID-19 pushback. John Pierce Law has filed a lawsuit against Atlas Air on behalf of U.S. Freedom Flyers and Atlas employees and plans to sue every major airlines, 18 altogether, plus the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, and the Department of Transportation. Mayor Pete, he's the secretary, U.S. secretary for the Department of Transportation. And the suit contends that the vaccine mandates... COVID-19 vaccine mandates imposed by these agencies on the airline's employees infringed on their constitutional, religious, and medical liberties. The lawsuit filed against Atlas Air was filed in federal court in the Southern District of Florida over 100 plaintiffs pursuing litigation. Fundamentally, this case is about whether Americans should be required to choose between their livelihoods and being coerced into taking an experimental dangerous medical treatment. Plaintiffs are mostly unvaccinated pilots, flight attendants, as well as other Atlas staff. It's also about the safety of America's airline industry. Should pilots under federal regulation required to be among the healthiest workers in the U.S. who have taken an experimental vaccine, the test is now to show potentially deadly long-term side effects, be allowed to fly massive aircraft in our skies. While those who have smartly refrained from such a course be forced out of their jobs, Atlas Air is one of the industry's largest cargo carrier companies and the world's largest operator of the Boeing 747 aircraft. Atlas Air is one of the industry's largest cargo carrier companies and the world's largest operator of the Boeing 747. This, this farm, these documents, were founded by attorney John Pierce, who founded the National Constitutional Law Union. He represented George Papadopoulos in connection with the 2016 Russia hope, reaching a dismal of the DNC's case and helping secure a presidential pardon. He's also currently representing defendants being charged in connection to the January 6th Capitol riots. So, the complaint has been filed. We're in the process of serving everyone. We'll likely be looking for some kind of injunctive relief here soon to make sure that all COVID-related mandates stop immediately. And then we'll proceed with litigation, motion, practice, and discovery, and then onward to the trial eventually. Pierce, Pierce, I'm sorry, Pierce is his name. 
He plans to file another lawsuit against United Airlines. We'll be hitting basically all of them in sequence. Then we'll be going after the FAA as well. We're going to get these vaccine mandates type of rules and COVID restrictions ruled unconstitutional. And we're going to get findings that was discrimination under Title VII. We're going to get punitive damages for intentional influence of emotional distress and things like that. It's going to require a big fix, ultimately, and that's probably going to group to require legislation and kind of getting all the stakeholders at the table. But their first step is going to be in this plan. Civil disobedience and suing. Law. Suing. Airlines which are government contractors are affected by Joe Biden's order from September 1st of last year. It states all employees of those companies have to be vaccinated against the virus. Pierce said that as soon as he heard about the airline mandates, he predicted that it would not, it would be the next big wave of litigations. These lawsuits are absolutely crucial. It's a very, very red line. If you go to the point where you have to choose between getting an experimental judge shot in your army and your paycheck, that's just un-American. It's unconstitutional. It's outrageous. It's sickening. If that's not the hill to die on when it comes to liberty, that's about as close as I can imagine it, he said. Josh Yoder, a major airlines pilot, a spokesperson for Freedom Flyers, who recently supported the truck-led The People's Convoy, he says there's been harassment, threats, intimidation, vaccine injuries, and even suicides that have come out of these mandates. We're not going to do class action. We're going to do individual litigation. And the reason we're doing that way is because so many people have been harmed and people have experienced different levels of charm and harm We have the unvaccinated who have been harassed, threatened, intimidated into getting vaxxed. Then we have many people as well who got the vax against their will who were coerced and forced into doing it under threat of losing their employment. And then in addition, Yoder said, we have the vaccine injured and the numbers of vaccine injured are growing by the day. It's just incredible what's happening with pilots. Pilots have to maintain a flight physical in order to maintain their licenses. And it's a pretty tough one. The Epoch Times recently reported that a pilot for American Airlines on one of his top three largest airlines in the country stifled to two gold, landed it on ground, which surprised me. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on. Health conditions, cardiac issues in pilots. Many of these pilots are afraid to come forward because if they come forward, they lose their flight physical, they lose their flight medical, they lose their job. So they're continuing to fly with all this stuff bubbling up underneath. We got a lot of pilots that are flying with chest pain, neurological conditions, because if they come forward, they lose their careers. Freedom Flyers is now acting as an advocacy group between the pilots, the FAA, and the companies to assist them in coming forward and speaking out on their conditions. We have a massive team of medical pros who are helping these people, but we're asking everyone to come forward. 
While it's absolutely devastating to their careers, we need them to come forward because this is the safety of the American public that we're talking about. It may not be a huge deal right now, but it very, very easily could become one very quickly. Things we don't think about. What about this one? Summer blackouts are inevitable as renewal renewable energy struggle to replace reliable energy. I was thinking about this yesterday. We talked about it a bit. Think about the technology that has been so carefully crafted and put together in the last 260 years. Most of the things, I'm talking about those things in our lives, you name it, it falls in this category. Most of the things in our life are produced things. They're made. And there are three parts of doing that. Creating things that you can use and other people can use and even more importantly, you need and other people need. What are those parts? Coming up with the idea, developing the product, getting the product to whoever wants and needs the product and is going to buy for it. Those three, they apply to every person, everything you buy. I don't care if it's a pack of Starburst. Anything and everything we do is done with and through a process. Our energy sector that is being single-handedly destroyed by this president And he's doing it because of a commitment he made to the far left in Congress, that he was going to move the party away from the middle where he's always run, or at least he's he's run before he changes when he gets elected, to stay as a moderate in the middle. They're far left, and Joe's right there with them now. He's abandoned all sense of reasonableness regarding our energy sector. Canceled the XL pipeline, put a bunch of people out of work. Immediately, the price of gas and natural gas goes up. Americans are having to pay for it. No explanation. And it just began to get worse and worse and worse. So what does he do? He turns to our emergency stockpile of oil that we keep, billions of barrels of oil. And he says, I'm going to put some of that in the market. So the perception is that's going to fix everything, right? 100 million barrels of oil last a day and a half. That's it. But it sounds good. It sounds good. Now we're being told we're going to have blackouts this summer because of our hard problems at getting our energy. They're telling us we need to brace for deadly blackouts. Why? A hotter than usual summer. Day before yesterday, the North American Electric Reliability Co-op, NERC, they put out their annual summer assessment, covers June through September, and it don't look good, according to them. The entire western part of the nation, along with the majority of the Midwest, Texas, and the western south, are facing high or elevated risk of energy emergencies, brought by severe drought, unreliable solar, and supply chain issues hampering conventional sources. We've been doing this for close to 30 years, he said. 
This probably is one of the grimmest pictures we painted in a while. Last week, the summer outlook from the National Ocean and uh, Atmospheric Administration, their forecast, they say temperatures above what the agency considers normal compared to the prior 143 years with relatively low precipitation across much of the West and the Plains. That's what we're headed for. And these people are not saying, if we don't do this, this is what we're going to get. They're, they're telling us this is going to happen. So just step back for a second and look at your world. If you don't have access to these things, how's your life going to change? It's going to change all of us. You know that. There's always in nature quid pro quo. You do this over here, it's going to have a result over here. What your prayers are, what your planning is, is putting something out there and knowing what it takes to get a good result. And so you make that happen. And Joe Biden single-handedly kicked the fossil fuel industry, all the corporations, their management, and all their employees, kicked him in the teeth by what he's done. And he calls it a necessary transition away from fossil fuel to green energy, renewables. That's his marching point. There's no reasoning. There's no explanations. It's just happening. A baby food shortage? A food shortage? Diesel and oil and gasoline shortages? What's next? Money (laughs) is in short supply. Unless you're with the federal government, they actually create money. Put some of it on paper and just hand it out. And, of course, every time that happens, the value of the bill that you have in your wallet, that's the same as the one they just did themselves, your $20 bill, the day that hits circulation is not worth what it is today. Ripple effect. You can throw a rock into the water and there'll be a ripple. Most people just turn away. If you follow the ripple and look how far it goes, in many cases, it'll go for a long, 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 long way. That's what comes from the decisions we make in our lives pretty much all the time. Our economy is not good. It's getting worse. This president won't talk about it. When he does, he talks about it in a world of fluff, in a world of I'm going to tell people this is factual and this is what's going to happen, but they already know it's not factual and what he's saying is going to happen There's no way it can happen. But it's happening, folks. How bad is it? New numbers out this morning. What are the numbers that we're facing? So, even the CBO Congressional Budget Office, no friend of supply-siders, even they acknowledge that Donald Trump corporate tax cuts worked. CBO notes that any improvement in Medicare's fiscal situation is the result of higher payroll taxes following passage of the Trump tax cuts. And in fact, in the latest CBO report, they incorporated the huge surge in tax revenue, which, by the way, accounted for $800 billion, or nearly half of the $1.8 trillion improvement in the FY22 budget gap. The rest of it comes from expiring COVID emergency spending. Now, you can bet that those Trump tax cuts contributed a big chunk to all of that revenue pickup. 
and also to what limited overall prosperity we actually have today. The CBO, by the way, also tipped their hat to two other supply-side criticisms of Bidenomics. One is that all those government checks from the March 2021 so-called emergency spending plan, all those checks boosted demand and contributed to the high rate of inflation. Plus, those very same government checks, according to the CBO, and I'll quote, might also have slowed the recovery of labor force participation in 2021, end quote. Indeed. In other words, as the Democrats ended workfare and they paid people not to work with massive assistance payments of all kinds, that postponed job recovery and increased inflation. In other words, big government socialism didn't work. We're delighted to have the CBO on board. That makes, by the way, that makes almost no one left who approves of Biden's radical, progressive, woke economics. But that's about as much cheering of this CBO report that I could muster, because based on current law, we still have multi-trillion dollar deficits as far as the eye can see over the next decade. By 2027, the deficit's back to $1.4 trillion. By 2032, it's $2.2 trillion. In total, deficits will increase by $15.7 trillion. Those are big smackers. As usual, the bill in the deficit story, federal overspending. Even though these COVID emergency programs expire, the government is still set to spend 23.2% of GDP over the next decade. That's well above the 20.8% average during the prior 50 years. Revenue expected to average a little over 18%. That is also higher than the 50-year average. So as a result of all this, federal debt held by the public is projected to rise to 109.6% of GDP, or a cool $40.2 trillion. Gross federal debt, all of it, which includes internal government transfers, Anyway, that comes to $45.3 trillion. Those are very big numbers. They are very bad numbers. And then, most disappointing, with all of this spending, the CBO, like most of the economics profession, still doesn't believe the American economy can grow. The 10-year average growth rate runs only a tad better than 1.5% per year. That's it, 1.5%. I ask you, is that really the best this country can do? I know the CBO is underestimating inflation. I know they're underestimating interest rates, but it's that growth number that sticks in my craw. Remember, roughly from the end of World War II all through the year 2000, over 50 years, Average growth in the U.S. after inflation came to about 3.5% per year. That's right, 3.5% per year. Now just think how many tens of trillions of dollars of revenue that that would add to slashing deficits and debt. Think about how many more people would be working and earning and paying taxes, especially at lower tax rates. This CBO report, just like all the ones before it, screams for the Laffer curve. 
slash marginal tax rates, build new incentives for economic growth, higher living standards for working folks, greater job opportunities for minorities, plenty of resources for new technologies to make all forms of power and energy cleaner and more efficient, and still plenty of money left over to bolster America's national security. Growth solves so many problems, and yet the bulk of the economics profession is still satisfied year in and year out to post long-term trends of so-called secular stagnation of one and a half percent per year. You know what? It's a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And that's why it's time to develop a balanced budget plan that will make America growthier and greater. Tax cuts, deregulation, spending restraint, energy independence, price stability, and king dollar. Get away from big government socialism. Get away from woke progressivism. Get away from this new road to serfdom and get us back to America first. The cavalry's coming. Now, all of those numbers you just heard from Kudlow, Kudlow on Fox Business, he is an economist. He watches everything. He's not a conservative. He's not a leftist. A leftist. He's a, a moderate. He's right in the middle. And he deals with facts, numbers and facts. We're so caught up in a political perspective about everything. Any conversation we have, we've got to go to politics, how that impacts, what are the opinions, what's real, what's lie, what's the truth of it all. We can understand our economy by understanding one principle. There are only two ways to get to any kind of bottom line. I'm talking about making money or losing money. Best case scenario in a country is you want to break even, which means all the money that comes in, you do all of the things with that money that you need to do with that money, taking care of people, doing your armed forces, paying for the government itself, all of those things. You do that, and at the end of it, you don't want to have spent more than the money that came in in the form of tax revenue from the people. Best case scenario is you want to have a balance left over at the end of each year. That's not the way our government leaders look at it. They don't even care about how much money comes in and income. Our tax revenue is still going up. Why is that? People are paying more money to people. There are more taxes to people. And that tax money goes to the government. Instead of looking at what to do with that excess money, our government leaders think, hey, we got more money to spend. And by the way, when we run out of that, we're just going to go downstairs to the printing press and print up a bunch of more money so we'll have more money. That's the mentality here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you will don't miss this. When we come back, you're going to hear about something specific happening today that's happening every day, and it costs us millions of dollars. And we don't have to be spending one dime of it. You know why we are? Politics. Oh, it has to do with the policy. You know, those things that are the purposes 
for what we do in every way, including our money. And somebody sets those policies. And this particular one, it was set and implemented by Joe Biden. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes! Cool. You okay with this? And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Money, money, money. Never have enough. Got plenty of things to spend it on. But uh, we're not going to plan about it. We're just going to do it. Um, I want to. I want to get to. I want to get to what uh, I told you about regarding the spending during an exclusive interview. Ernest. Joe Joni, what's her name? Ernst? I can't even pronounce that. E-R-N-S-T. She's a senator from Iowa. During a meeting, she detailed her latest legislation that's titled the Build It Act. And the purpose of that would turn over the unused border wall materials already paid for by all of you and me. Would turn it over to states that could then continue constructing the southern border wall. January 2021, takes office, bam. He stopped all construction of the border wall, the Joe Biden. Ernst said that her legislation turns over these unused materials that were purchased to construct the southern border barrier, and Congress voted that money, incidentally. It wasn't just Donald Trump arbitrarily deciding to spend that money. It's paid for. This legislation wants the government to turn these things, this material, over to any state that wants to finish the job. What we have done, we have purchased these materials. Biden canceled construction along the southern border, calling it a waste of money, she said. But since he canceled that contract, listen to this. The administration has continued paying these contractors $3 million every single day. 
Why? They're not building. What are they doing with the material? It's to watch over these unused materials that are just laying down at our southern border. So why are we paying people to watch over materials that aren't going to be used? Why don't we turn it over to the state governments who do want to construct a border wall to protect their southern borders? In April, it was revealed in some exclusive footage the extent to which Biden is spending taxpayer money to leave giant holes in the 30-foot-tall border wall along California's border with Mexico. Those materials are just laying out there in the desert. We know there's pilferage as well. So we need to protect the materials that have already been purchased by our government and allow the states to use them. Instead, we're wasting $3 million a day. That doesn't include the cost of the materials that we've already paid. $3 million a day. Do the math. $3 million a day is about, what, $90 million a month? I can, I can use a calculator. I'm just going to do the 365. 365 times 3 million. What does that equal? A billion, 95 million. That's not much. That's how much we're paying these companies that were building the wall. We paid them to build the wall. We paid for the materials, shipped them there. These companies are being paid 3 million a day just to watch and take care of the materials. Can you believe that? It blows my mind, but that's that's no big deal. It's probably happening all across our government, and we don't even know about it. And obviously, they're not out there advertising. This had to be discovered, and a member of the United States Senate is the one that had to discover and get it and put it out to the people. What are we going to do about it? We can't force the federal government to do anything. They're supposed to bow to the will of the people, those that elected them and sent them to Washington to represent us. Sometimes they do, but most of the time, if it doesn't fit their narrative, nah, they just let it slide. So have you noticed Dr. Fauci? Have you seen him anywhere? He pops up every once in a while on a television interview. Normally it's over the weekend on the weekend Sunday talk shows. He's back in the news a bit. A month before America's top infectious disease bureaucrat, but month before he conceded that mRNA vaccines offer just short-lived protection against COVID, Fauci's researchers at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, the NIAID, N-I-A-I-D, that he's the head of, offered a possible explanation why. These vaccines target COVID spike protein specifically. Natural immunity recognizes the whole of the virus, including the nucleoprotein that envelops the RNA core. Among those infected with COVID during the blinded phase of Moderna's 30,000 adult vaccine trial, remember that we reported to you, only 40% of those given the vaccine developed the anti-nucleocapsid antibodies. The figure was more than twice as high for those that were given the placebo and didn't even get the vaccination. So these higher viral loads were associated with higher likelihood of developing any nucleocapsid antibodies. Viral copies as the illness did not fully explain the large difference between vaccine and placebo groups. That's according to this study, 
which hasn't been yet peer-reviewed. For any given viral copy number, to follow this, I know it's scientific, but it's important for us all to understand it. The odds of developing those natural antibodies were 13.67 times higher for the unvaccinated. A placebo recipient is somebody that thought they were getting a shot of the medicine and they got water or whatever they, glucose, whatever they put in there to make it appear to be something and the patient doesn't know which he or she received. A placebo recipient with a mild infection had a 71% chance of developing those antibodies compared to 15% for a vaccine recipient. That's a huge difference. 71% if you you got a 71% chance of developing natural antibodies if you didn't take the vaccine. 15%, only 15 for somebody vaccinated. While an increase in seroversion cannot be ruled out, given the short time frame, the more likely explanation is a vaccine-induced reduction in that seroconversion or development of antibodies. The study period ended March of 2021 before Delta and Omicron variants developed. We didn't know about it. They didn't tell us about it. You got to get vaccinated. Vaccinated. That's the only way you're going to stay safe. If you don't get vaxxed, COVID's going to kill you and it's going to kill everybody that you interact with. So get vaxxed. They knew our natural bodies are way more likely to develop natural antibodies to not just COVID-19, but any disease that attacks us if we let our bodies do it naturally rather than get a jab. Does that hack you off? They've known that since 2021, the end of March. That's a year and a couple of months ago. They've known that all along. Fauci has known that all along. And anybody out in the world in the research industry, medical research, all of those doctors that have pointed out natural immunity will work, herd immunity, herd immunity. He himself, Fauci, the first year of COVID, he began to preach, we've got to get to herd immunity, herd immunity. How do you get herd immunity? Naturally, people interact with other people. Some of them have COVID. They get COVID, their bodies attack it and beat it. They healed up internally. Their bodies now have natural antibodies to fight COVID-19. They didn't want us to go there. They wanted to keep us medically committed to the federal government. How so? You got to get the vax. Then you've got to get a booster. Then you've got to get another booster. Then you've got to get another booster. And then they say, you know what? We may be getting booster shots for the rest of our lives. We may never get off of it. What is the process of what we just said? Well, first of all, if you get a shot, you got to have the material, the syringe and all the stuff that goes with it. There are tens of millions of those that are being bought and used every day. The more people that get sick, the more people that need injections, the more they'll sell. That's number one. We got to put something in the syringe. What do you put in the syringe? Well, we've got three vaccines that are approved and being used and have been on tens of millions of people in the U.S. and around the world. Where does that come from? 
our federal government bought uh, probably a billion doses of different vaccines in all total. And nobody's paying for it. But wait a minute. Somebody's paying for it. Who's paying for it? Well, our federal government is paying for it. Where do they get the money? They get the money from you and me. Tax revenue. Oh my gosh. You get you get in a situation where something you see or hear and you think, you know what? I thought this was going to be this way months ago, years ago. And I never could quite get proof. But people were out there telling me something different, but it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem right. Another example of uh, things being something than what they're described to be. You remember Paul Ryan? Paul Ryan was in the House of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives from Wisconsin. He was the Speaker of the House. He quietly went into the sunset. In fact, he, uh, he didn't run for a term, a second term. And he decided to go back to private world. And he is now a board member of Fox News. He's, he's never come out and talked publicly about anything in politics until yesterday. He went on CNBC's Squawk Box and he told them that voters thought Biden was going to be a centrist, a common ground guy, somebody that rules from the middle. But Ryan acknowledged that's not what Joe Biden is. He lamented that Joe gave the keys to the White House and to the nation, to the left. Look, Joe Biden, he said, and I have been friends for years. I think people thought they were going to get a centrist, you know, a common ground guy. That's not what Joe Biden was. He gave the keys to government to the left, the progressives. They steered the country far left. They tried to go so far left on so many issues, and they didn't have the majorities to do that. That's what always confounded me, is they acted like they had these massive majorities that shared these left-wing ideas. Tax reform, it works. These policies work, so that's the thing that I'm excited about. We actually put a lot of good policies in place that have proven to work. I mean, who expected a global pandemic? Ryan went on to predict the GOP would take back the House and there'd be a divided government. He added, frankly, right now that would be nice to have. You know, I don't, I, I don't know about that. I, uh, I have always have. I've had very mixed feelings about Paul Ryan. I think he had a chance to do something great, and he either didn't want to do it, or he got pushed out of that seat in the House of Representatives and got out of politics altogether. Yesterday, Senate Republicans blocked a bill that was presented to create domestic terrorism offices within federal law enforcement agencies. That, of course, is in response to another shooting. The one they were reacting to was the one last week up in Buffalo, New York, where 10 people died. Chuck Schumer framed the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act as an opportunity to vote on Republican and Democrat amendments to curb gun violence. But try as he did... He couldn't get any support from the GOP to begin the debate, and it fell flat 
with his Republican colleagues. The bill is so important, he said, because the mass shooting in Buffalo was an act of domestic terrorism. We need to call it what it is, domestic terrorism. It was terrorism that fed off the poison of conspiracy theories like white replacement theory. Schumer said this on the floor before the debate, any debate. The vote broke down along party lines, 47-47. Not a single Republican voting for the measure. Here, listen to this. Before we finish up today, they didn't vote against the idea of this bill. What they did, it was too broad and too unspecific. What Republicans said, they argued the new laws and offices are not needed to monitor and prosecute domestic terrorism. Why? Because politically motivated violence is already covered by existing law. I've said this from the beginning. You want to fix all this stuff? The only way to fix it, to to do it the right way, is to enforce the laws. If you do that, you're going to be okay. Well... Going into a holiday weekend, I want you to have a great one. We will not be live on Monday, but we'll be back Tuesday. Guys, you have a great weekend. We love you at TNN Live. Talk to you Tuesday.